Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector. And, of course, with me is Rob Hirschfeld. Good afternoon, Rob. Afternoon, Stephen. And uh, we have a new guest today from a new company, again, finding uh, new new people to listen to, which is fantastic. And before we uh, recorded this con- this uh, podcast, we discovered a perk for working at StubHub. And uh, Rob and I are both looking at the StubHub employment <laughs> page right now that we did not know about. But uh, l- let me introduce uh, Sashi. Certainly, certainly lighter, lighter, better for your waistline than uh, the perks at Ben and Jerry's. That's correct. But let me introduce you to uh, Sashi Maladi, who is the CTO of Foghorn. Uh, welcome to the podcast. Um, thank you. It's been a pleasure. So uh, besides commenting on your uh, prior history at StubHub. Uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little about yourself and, um, you know, kind of tell us a little about Foghorn and uh, we'll jump into Edge and see where the conversation goes. Yeah, absolutely. So I am um, a technologist by uh, nature, been in the technology business for 30 plus years, been at uh, many different companies, both small and uh, big, uh, sometimes my own startups, self-funded as well. Um, work at a lot of big companies, uh, mainly in the they started from operating systems to distributed computing to app servers, IBM, Oracle, eBay, Bull, and so on. For the last uh, three plus, four, close to four years is where we've started this company uh, called Foghorn, based in the Silicon Valley here. It's uh, seed funded by, it's a tip, uh, atypical way to start a company. It's seed funded by a, a seed fund company called The Hive in Palo Alto. And the way it works is that Hive, um, you know, uh, bootstraps the companies by uh, providing some seed fund, maybe hiring a couple of engineers to uh, do some POCs, and then they fi- finally go hire the effectively the founders for the company, the CTO and the CEO. That's how myself and uh, David King, our CEO, uh, got hired. What we do is provide a edge computing, edge intelligence software, especially focused on industrial side of things. I know, I know IoT and edge and all of these are buzzwords these days, but more specifically, we provide solutions for um, uh, real-time uh, analytics, data processing, machine learning in constrained environments, especially in PLC, small devices, detecting uh, uh, you know, problems or solutions for uh, their problems. We'll go, I'm sure we'll go in more details, but that's uh, where we are. So we have a shipping product. We are based out of Sunnyvale here in California. We do have offshore um, uh, set up as well and across where we have a global presence lots of customers across the globe yeah thank you so this is exciting this is in in our in our sort of you know area of focus on edge which i which i'm which i love there's a, a different because you're you're really building sounds like a gateway right the the purpose of the software you build is to fit within or is to, to aggregate devices and then make decisions locally and then send the data up. Is that a fair sort of assessment? Yes, exactly. So not necessarily specific to gateway per se. Our our main core capability series to go build a software that can be installed in an existing device that the customers may have. In some cases, they may choose to put a new gateway, whether it's an x86-based IoT gateway or something like a Raspberry Pi. Or in many other cases, they may also uh, try, they may not have the opportunity to add those devices. So they will ask us to install this on their existing PLCs. And PLCs are actually quite powerful too. And some other cases, embedded systems, right? So that's why it's important for the footprint of our software and how, how much memory, CPU, compute storage that you would need to compute all of that. Um, 
and then do all of that processing locally so that you don't have to incur the cost of a, sending all of the data to your cloud. You may not even have connectivity, you have security issues. But more importantly, the real goal here is to identify the issues before uh, it's too late. So the customer has a chance to fix it and then optimize their uh, yields or reduce their scrap and whatever the case might be. So, wow, I want to I want to break this down quite a bit uh, for listeners. One thing I, I want to do is just, uh, if you're not familiar with the term PLC, um, it's an industrial controller. So a programmable logic controller, they're, they're usually fixed function computers that have very limited um, capabilities, although that was 20 years ago when I was playing with PLCs. Um, I'm sure that they're much more generic now. Um, I, I guess one of the questions I have for you is, if you're talking about embedded software in the device, then you're, you're, what, you're, what you're doing is it end up being a library? Is it you know, containerized? How do you, how do you take you know, a piece of software and then fit it into a PLC environment, which is a very, very constrained system? Right, right. So, but that's the core, two, two things, right? One, uh, first of all, thank you for explaining the PLC. Um, that's exactly right. Although the, some of the modern PLCs that are coming out these days are a lot more generic than the, some of the constraints when they were there 20, 30 years <laughs> when, I was, when I was doing them, it was, it was ladder logic programming, yes. Exactly. I mean, people still do that. That was in, in kindergarten. We had some PLCs <laughs> to help, right. help manage uh, sandwich time. That's exactly right. Now, so as far as you answer your question around how do we really make this work is that two things. One is, as you alluded to, we containerize the software. So we are kind of operating system hardware agnostic in the sense that we can work on any chipset, hardware, and operating systems, uh, and we containerize and ship those containers. The, but the main reason why it's able to even run in those environments is because we have a secret side. We've got several patents where how we built on how do you do reactive flow programming on a number of streams of uh, sensor data streams that are coming in, including some of the modern uh, sensors like video and audio, because it's pretty fairly easy for customers to install a video camera these days or an acoustic sensor or a vibration sensor. So that's a lot of data. So what we built is a, is a highly innovative um, CEP engine combined with a machine learning engine that can run in that kind of a small footprint. We're talking about hundreds of megabytes um, for very most common use cases with uh, almost no storage and uh, be able to do reactive pro programming and do the data analysis on that. So, and then on top of that, we take that and containerize and ship it so it's easier for, from a deployment perspective. Makes a lot of sense. So, so because it's containerized, um, you then can move it into different environments and different topologies. That's exactly um, right. Makes less sense. Yeah. Does that, and that allows you to scale up. If you have a machine that has more capability, then, then it could become a full gateway from that perspective? It, it is. In fact, uh, that's a great question, by the way. So some of our customers, especially in the manufacturing um, plants, where you have lots of processing, you know, manufacturing machines, they have a choice. If they wanted to install this software on each of these machines and the PLCs individually and then locally process them, that's fine too. And some, in, especially in the plant environment, they may have a NOC, a network operation center locally available where they may be able to put a bigger, a slightly bigger gateway where they connect all of the 20 different uh, machines and then process them all together in the same gateway. So our software scales up very nicely. We've solved the uh, harder problem first, which is how do you scale it down and run in a smaller footprint? Scaling up is relatively easier. Wow, okay. So this is, this is a case where, and, and one of the things that you said 
uh, and I want I'm, I'm glad to come back to is that you described edge in a way that I really like, um, which is that it's a constrained environment. Um, right. Absolutely. I, I think I, I think that when we look at what edge is about, that's the the big difference. You just you don't you don't have there's constraints. Uh, in an edge environment, because you need to be low latency or close or physical proximity. There, there's reasons. All those are the constraints. That's really, to me, the defining characteristic. Uh, that, you're precisely right. I mean, those those are the constraints that we work with, and because that's that's reality. That's what customers have, are faced with today. Right. And and so it, does that mean that when a, a customer is building um, logic on top of your platform for the edge, is that something that gets delivered in that container? How do you how do you make sure that you know, the environment has the latest code you, if you solve the, the code distribution problem? Yeah, so remember, because we containerize the software, I mean, we use, for example, Docker, it could be any other container environment too. So anytime we wanted to update the software, our own container, update the software, uh, or, you know, so supply a patch, a security patch, or next version of it, it's simply a matter of pushing the new con- new images into our container repository and then the customer who is willing to apply to that, that we have given them a, a sort of a, a pseudo installer updater, if you will, that's what keeps running on the device that can pull those new images uh, from the repo. That's the our own software. But you might also be asking, uh, on top of our software, you know, obviously our customers use our tools. We've got a number of authoring and deployment management uh, configuration tools using which they would uh, configure, for example, what kind of sensors they have in that environment, what kind of expressions or patterns they might be looking for, what kind of models they want to deploy. We've got tools for that. You know, that they can do that anytime they want. They bring up our tool, you know, update their model or change their model, change their configuration. They can do all of that without us getting involved. Right. That makes so so basically using the containerized processes, you're using that as your software delivery mechanism, which which makes a ton of sense to me. So I build, test, develop you know, integrate with my, the devices that I want. And then I commit that into my hub where it doesn't have to be Docker, a public Docker hub. And, right. And, but that, that then propagates the software to, to the, the field. That's exactly right. If we don't put it in the public Docker hub, we have our own uh, private uh, hub, but, uh, but, but exactly right. So we test it, commit it for both uh, different types of chipsets, device, uh, uh, hardware architectures, and then the customer simply pull it from there. Right. No, that makes it, and that's a really good use of containers. One of the things that's fascinating to me in this model is that containers have gotten so ubiquitous that we can, you know, that you're counting on edge devices being able to run containers. Uh, uh, right. So we do. I mean, that's actually a good point you bring up, uh, Rob. So in the sense that most of these existing, even though they're constrained devices, they are running some flavor of. Uh, uh, Linux, Ubuntu, or some other version, or some flavor of Windows, or some flavor of real-time RTOS operating system. Almost all of them, including, in fact, the latest uh, Windows now, um, support the notion of containers. So that has never been a problem so far. The only environment where we didn't, um, the container uh, type of stuff did not work is most recently, um, one of our largest partners and customers in, have also asked for the single lot of traction, is to get this up and running on like handheld uh, like an Android type of device, iOS and Android type of device. Mm-hmm. You know, okay. Container, uh, the Docker or otherwise, they don't quite work in that environment. So where there's a notion of an app, so we kind of package our software as an app there in those kind of environments. But other than that, in almost all environments, containers have worked really, really well. 
This is fascinating. So in, in what you're building, you're creating a, a you know, software distribution model, very cloud-like, very comfortable for people who are used to you know, that type of environment, but then being able to position it as this, this intermediate piece from an IoT. I, I mean, to me, it still sounds like you're building a gateway. You're just making a gateway that can be embedded in the device where you need it to be. Well, if you're, if you're um, calling gateway, so we only sell, just to be clear, we only um, sell software. We only uh, produce and sell software. We do have a lot of hardware partnerships with Dell, HPs, and ADLINKs, and Cisco's, and so on. We test them. They, in fact, sell our software preloaded on their gateways and their own SKUs and all of that. But we only make software, right? So if you're referring to gateway as a piece of hardware, no, we don't, we don't actually sell or make any hardware. But the individual piece of software, if that's what you're referring to as a gateway, sure. But we, we provide multiple containers. So let's talk for a second about what a gateway is, because I, I think that you know, in, in a lot of previous podcasts about Edge, we've sort of made kind of indus, you know, indus, sort of industry sweeping comments about you know, IT infrastructure at the edge to deliver you know, uh, advanced functions, right? Collect data, process data, decide to forward it. How how do you you know what what type of software do you think is going to be normal in these type of in an IoT environment? Just right. generically, and then let's figure out how how people are going to deploy it and manage it. Correct. So so maybe just let me describe the almost all of these different verticals that we run into in an IoT environment. They always have some sort of sensors, whether they're measuring different things, temperature, pressure, velocity, whatnot. They've got other types of sensors like video, audio, and so forth we talked about. So one layer of the software is what we call the ingestion layer, data ingestion layer. So you got to have you know, protocol-specific data ingestion layers. For example, OPC UA, Modbus, MQTT, BACnet, or, or Zigbee. It doesn't matter what those different sensor protocols are. All of these, so one set of containers are, uh, are simply connecting to these sensor streams, ingesting data, decoding it, enriching it, and publishing onto the system. And then there is this other set of containers, which is really where uh, the rubber meets the road, where we're doing real-time processing as the data is coming in, after the data is enriched, um, applying analytics, applying CEP, applying different pattern detections, applying different kinds of regressions and models and so on. In other cases, deep learning too. Vito is involved. You could also do neural nets and deep learning. Believe it or not, right. we do all of that in this still this small footprint. That's really what we call edification. We'll get to that in a second. And then there okay. is this third layer uh, on top of that, which is once you process this data, derive some insights um, that are useful to the customer, what do you do with it? What you know, This is what we call the publication layer, a set of containers in that layer where you can take that information, publish it to other external systems, whether they are IoT Hub in Microsoft, you're a cloud provider, or a Google IoT Core, or an AWS S3, uh, Greengrass and so on. They can do all of that, but many a times they just simply take those insights and then use our SDK to automate uh, sending, uh, taking actions into their PLC. So that's this is generally the IoT software. There is an ingestion component, there is a processing component, and then there is a publication component. There is always an optional, you know, storage local time series database if you wanted to if you have a local disk space to store some information. So this is really the general piece of software. The whole thing put together is really what we're calling this IoT platform or the software. Now, it has to run somewhere. It could be running on a PLC. It could be running on a gateway. It could be running on an embedded system. That really varies on the customer scenario. Right. But it, seem, it seems like if you can move it into you know, some more powerful gear, then you could add more collaborative logic. So you could start saying, 
you know, when I have data from these sensors and I, you know, I could do integrations, I could do some analytics and then I could make decisions, right? Is, is part of the goal here to be able to have more autonomy at the edge? Uh, that, that is correct. So the goal for okay. doing this is number one, uh, the most important number one is that they want to find the insights before it's too late. They want to be able to leverage those insights to optimize their costs, whether it's a scrap reduction, yield improvement, predictive maintenance, or simply um, security issues, whatever the case might be, right? That's the ultimate goal. Now, they obviously, in many cases, they might need to combine the information that's coming live from these sensors with some existing MES or other uh, historical data that might have been stored in other data systems. The way we make that happen is simply, because for us, everything is a stream. So we write uh, components to for all these different uh, external systems where the data might be sitting to inject that as just one more stream. So for the customer, it doesn't make any difference where the data is coming from. We can also do it in such a way that it is distributed. Let's say you've got a, a wind farm, you've got hundreds of windmills, wind farm, wind turbines running, and whatever you learn, uh, insights from one windmill, you can apply onto the, the next one as well. So we have this notion of a distributed edge where you can actually share information between these edges without having to going back all the way to the cloud because you may not even have a connectivity and the latency could be an issue, not to mention the cost. That makes a lot of sense. And so having a platform that enables you to do those things really translates into you know, creating a valuable environment. That's exactly right, yeah. So we, we are a flexible, valuable platform which customers can leverage to either just you know do some local processing in one edge or connect a number of edges. And if we've got customers, for example, we run this on top of an elevator, you know, millions of elevators to do predictive maintenance on an elevator. You wouldn't even know. Elevator has, for example, accelerometer, temperature, pressure, all these things, right? Most of the time these days, elevators are not sold as, um, as asset, but instead they're sold as a service contract, just like software these days. Right? Pay by the floor. Now, okay. Exactly. <laughs> and, um, and when they go bad, you make a call to the, you know, get a maintenance guy come in, it's going to cost you a lot. These companies are spending tons of money. Now, what we do now is put our little software onto the controller uh, on sitting on top of the elevator, connect all of these different sensors and do predictive maintenance and proactively alert the customer there on how, in how many days this thing is likely to go fail or the door is not opening or something else is failing. So that actually saves them a lot more money. Um, so it's, you can, it's possibilities are endless in where we're applying all of this. this technology. I, I, I like that you're talking about right edge and, you know, doing analytics at the edge in terms of, of profits and savings. Cause I, I, I think that people underestimate just how much efficiency and savings and, and, and really reliability that you're going to get from having these environments. Right. What, what, what I, what I guess I'm curious about is, you know, are we, let me take a step back. Cause there's a fundamental question I've, I've had with in, in some of these conversations that comes back to, are we going to push decisions very, very close to the edge, like at the top of the elevator, or does it make sense at some point that you're going to have, you know, a building data center that is the edge instead of each elevator, right? It's how do you how does a a person designing that system make the trade off to move from a you know a Raspberry Pi or a Nook riding up and down on those floors to a you know a, a, a servers in the debate in the basement? Yeah, so this is a hybrid a hierarchical approach, right? So in the example that you're talking about, 
elevator itself, a building may have multiple elevators, right? So each elevator has its own sensors and whatever logic uh, locally that you need to apply to uh, derive some insights or do uh, failure prediction, uh, it's most optimal to do it locally there without having to send all of the raw data every single time the elevator moves up and down, whatnot, right? However, the building may have many elevators, the building may have other systems, HVAC systems or other energy consumptions, lighting systems and so on. And each of them have their own local edge processing. And then you will have a local building uh, edge, so to speak, um, which can um, take the insights or the results from each of these different um, uh, uh, edges within that building and then consolidate that and say, look, how is this building performing overall? Somebody wants to know that. They may not have to go to each and every individual elevator, right? But the actual data, where the data is produced, if you actually think about big data processing, that's exactly the concept. Process where the data is, is rather than rather than where the computer is, right? Shift, yeah, shift that. It has a lot of benefits where, in, in, in real life. But so, but where I where I start thinking, you're describing sort of fixed sensor systems. You know, I, I can easily jump to a hotel where there's a you know there's cameras in the hotels in the halls. There's cameras in the in the elevator bays. You could actually use the video analytics coming off of those streams to detect that people are walking to the elevators, right? And actually call elevators in advance and do predictive. How, how, how do we get to that level of analysis and integration into an edge infrastructure? So we're already doing that. In fact, I won't name the customer. It's one of the largest customers where they came up with this notion of, oh, there's a huge campus who is building. There's so many doors to get in. There's so many elevators to get in. And each employees, for example, people who are walking in, uh, you know, based on their badge, they already know what's the best location to get in. Trying to correlate and connect the information from the camera information, which door they're entering, uh, and what badge, what the identity of the person, what elevator they need to go into to automatically open it for them and exactly press that button. We're already doing that. So that's another use case, right? But um, these are not mutually exclusive. I was giving an example where individual assets, if you're trying to do the asset performance optimization, you have an edge there. But in the example that you're providing, the asset is the building or the asset is the person moving, right? So therefore, you have to correlate the information across these different sources. And we're doing that as right. well. Yeah. And 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 does that then be hierarchical? I mean, so, because I guess what you're describing is you might have the system in the elevator, and then it's going to forward relevant data to, you know, to a, a building system, and then the building system might, might forward up to the campus system, uh, and then the campus system is going to forward into some global analytics, actually might split the streams, some goes to the elevator people, some goes to the video people, some goes to security. Is, is that the, the vision of, of all these systems being sort of federated up? Yeah, that's exactly right. In, in a way that is much more optimal, like, like you said, elevator locally processing all of this information because that's ter terabytes to petabytes of data per day. It's a lot of data. There's no reason to send all of the raw data anywhere. And then the elevator locally process that if there is an insight or some information that it derives to say that something is wrong or something is about to go bad or whatnot, or everything is okay too, that information is the one that goes into the building edge, if you will. Uh, and all such elevators in that same building will send it to the same building edge, which can then use that information to say, look, overall, how is this building performing? I'm now going to say, how is the elevator doing? How is the energy consumption? How is the HVAC doing? Is there an alert? And now the building edge can generally send to the building operator to say, look, how is the building doing, right? So absolutely federated and hierarchical in a way that's much more optimal, that actually provides real-time insights. And, uh, and so the user has an option to 
uh, optimize their costs. Okay. And now I, now I see why PLCs matter because a lot of these old building systems are PLCs and you're, you're trying to build this aggregated viewpoint of, you know, of an environment from multiple sources. And then, so you need to be able to basically make a device that was never designed for this more intelligent about edge aggregation and being part of a collective system. That's exactly right. So if we look at the manufacturing plant, oil and gas, uh, oil rigs and all of that, right? So completely remote. And they have these existing PLCs and existing control systems. And we got to do that. I'll give you one of the interesting example, if I may, the transportation. So we are one of our customers is the largest you know, North American you know, uh, uh, locomotive operator, right? So a locomotive, for example, running at North America alone. In fact, I was blown away when I heard the stat three, four years ago that um, if they were to increase the average speed of our locomotive by uh, one mile per hour, uh, we would, they would uh, save about $10 million, $10 million a day. And that's, that's a lot of money. Anyway, so what money. I said was, I, I didn't believe it until they actually showed me the facts, this company. So um, that, what that asked us is, look, we've got all these um, fuel uh, inefficiencies. We've got all these intruder detection, wear and tear of these problems and all of that. We've got all these sensors. But the locomotive is running in, in, in white spaces, nowhere, right? So all that information. Now, today what happens before our solution got in place there, when the train stops in some station or some location where the data gets offloaded, maybe you know they do something with it. But whatever problem had happened has already happened. So now what they told us is the locomotive engine already has a built-in computer. And they said, you can't put any other computer, no gateway, no Raspberry Pi, nothing, however small that is. We already have a built-in computer in the engine and we'll give you a part of a line card. Now put your software there, connect to these sensors and raise to the engine operator who is actually in the engine compartment in a car, when there is an issue, raise an issue so that person can act. And that's what we did. This is another example where it makes a lot of sense, where you can't, you just can't send all this information anywhere. It's too late. Right. But this is, this is what's fascinating to me is that when you're describing edge in this case, that's definitely an edge use case, but the edge use case has to be integrated in with broader data analytics, um, which is what, which is actually what my next question is. It's about you know, how do you do machine learning? Is machine learning a component with this? And, and what's the data flow for getting data to build a model and then sending the models back? Got it. This is a good question. Yes, machine learning is part of this. We So the data processing happens through a, a combination of three different layers in our system at the edge. One is the what we call the enrichment layer, which is really filtering out all of the noise and um, extrapolating or interpolating it when there are missing values, because sensors do go bad sometimes, followed yep. by a complex event processing engine that we built from ground up, which can run in just a, a couple of megabytes of memory that can do this pattern detection of based on all these different signals coming in from the sensors, followed by a machine learning engine where you have uh, multiple options. Either you can, uh, you know, especially if the data is not uh, big or if the failures are frequent, you can pick one of these regressions or, you know, um, an anomaly detections or, you know, random for any of these algorithms that we pre include with the system, train the data locally there, although not many people actually do that because the data is quite high, or you can pre-train your model in an offline environment uh, regarding using your favorite tool and bring that model in, into our tool and push that and deploy to the edge environment. You could do that either in traditional Python-based uh, models, or you could also do in PMML, predictive markup model language. So especially if you're developing your models in, you know, a Spark ML, you know, RStudio and so on. And you don't have to worry about that. You can still use your existing tools, no, no problem. 
then export all those model descriptions into something called PMML, predictive markup model language, and we import that. And then we can we do the, the right stuff for generating our CEP expressions. But what we also do in the process, because a lot of the times when people are developing machine learning models in a cloud or offline environment, they don't pay too much attention to how much how how much compute uh, am I using? How many layers am I building? What are my weights? You know, how long is it taking? Because it's you know, infinite amount of compute almost is available for them in a cloud environment is elastic. <laughs> right. That's not the case in the edge, and therefore we go through a process called edification, uh, which involves a number of steps. One is to and actually believe it or not, the, by uh, doing this edification process, you get higher, more accurate results at the edge because the fidelity of the data is a lot higher at the edge compared in the cloud because you're almost downsampling when you send it to the cloud. And um, so we do this uh, you know, uh, optimization reduction of weights, the number of layers. We take out all of the pre-processing, post-processing aspects of the machine learning model into the CEP expression, which runs a lot faster. And in a number of things, you know, you know, if we want, we can go into more details. But the bottom line is we give the flexibility to the customers to build the models if, however they want to build um, and then come in whichever format they want to go build come to our tools, go through our, our deployment tool process and deploy to the edge. And those three layers will take care of the rest. Right, wow. This is, this is something I think that people really need to think through from how they design, you know, sort of data cascades. And then do you see a need for, you know, machine learning acceleration? So I guess I'm, I'm trying to put the, my IT infrastructure at the edge hat on for a second. So if I came in and said, look, I actually can, give you a data center that has a whole bunch of TPM or GPU processing that I can, I can really, um, not TPM, what am I thinking? GPUs. Uh, but, but, you know, they can actually do some of this number crunching. Can you then take advantage of that? You yes. know, do processing analytics before you do offload? Yeah, that's exactly right. So you probably meant TPU, uh, the Google TPU. That's it. <laughs> TPM is the security components for hardware. Right. I'm too steeped in my hardware day, in that's my hardware right. life. Yeah, I, I, I can, I can see that. Yes, we can leverage if you, if your edge device happen to have a GPU or a TPU or even an FPGA or some faster processor, we, we can certainly leverage that. In fact, we are um, Intel, one of our investors and a partner. They came up with this. Um, framework called OpenVINA, which is an accelerator for machine learning models um, that, uh, you know, we, we applied also on top of that, where we can effectively leverage uh, hi higher, faster clock speed processes underneath. Um, so the short answer is yes. We, if the device happens to have these uh, chipset, we can leverage that. So this is, uh, Sashay, this is where I always come in and have to stop. <laughs> no! uh, Rob, it's a no! standard standard process but uh this has been a really good conversation and um I just really appreciate you uh joining us your uh, feedback has been great uh if any of our listeners are interested in uh reaching out to you your company uh what's the best uh place for them to go so uh, they should go to check out first foghan.io that's the website that we have they can always request additional information. They can send an email to info at uh, And of course, uh, we'll all get watch out that. And if there are any specific people that want to reach out, they can also directly reach me too. Great. Well, uh, Sashri, thank you for joining us. And Rob, thanks for another uh, outstanding uh, set of questions. It was really useful. And to our listeners, we go deep. <laughs> <laughs> to our listeners, 
hopefully uh, you found this really useful. I think we do. And uh, as I always say, if you have a company or someone we need to reach out to, let us know and we're happy to uh, bring them on as a guest. And Sasha and Rob, thank you again for uh, joining us today. Well, thank you. Thank you, Rob. It's been a pleasure. Appreciate it.